Welcome to Tech Humanity, the weekly podcast where we examine the intersection between technology and humanity. In the 21st century, the so-called digital age, ones and zeros tend to determine much of what we call reality. Do you ever question the nature of your reality? Do you ever wonder how new technologies, things like social media, apps for humanistic ideas and so on shape your consciousness? Are we in charge of technology or is technology in charge of us? Will singularity become a reality and AI become the new creator competing directly with the metaphysical God? These are some of the ideas and questions educator, author, cultural critic, and philosopher of technology Dr. Tony Kashani will examine in this episode and many more in the future. So please join us in Tech Humanity! Hello friends, welcome to Tech Humanity. I'm your host, Tony Kashani. In this episode, I want to discuss the nature of reality and what we must do when enlightened by authentic reality. But first, a story. The story is called The Allegory of the Cave. The allegory is one of the most famous philosophical stories of all time, written by the father of modern Western philosophy. And that is none other than Mr. Plato. Before I get into the story, let me tell you a little bit about Plato. He was the son of a wealthy and noble family in the Greek state. He was also a student of Socrates. Initially, he was preparing for a career in politics, but the trial of Socrates for corrupting the youth and his eventual execution transformed Plato. He abandoned political studies and turned his attention to philosophy, in essentially becoming a full-time philosopher and opening a school on the outskirts of Athens dedicated to the Socratic teachings of his teacher Socrates. Plato's school was called the Academy. Yes, you guessed it, the original Academy, which historians and scholars uh, mention as the first university in Western history. Unlike his mentor, Plato was a prolific writer and an excellent teacher. But there's a bit of irony to Plato's starting career as a writing philosopher. Initially, historians tell us, perhaps due to the heavy influence of his mentor, Plato was against writing his philosophical deliberations worrying that the writing would cause a loss in translation and diminish the authenticity of his philosophy. In a nutshell, Plato was ambivalent about the technology of writing. He wanted to continue Socrates' tradition of dialogue and questioning. He believed that a teacher could not simply deposit knowledge and wisdom into the student's mind. He wanted to do what Socrates was so successful at, and that is to offer an education to his students by way of directing their minds 
toward the true nature of reality, in allowing them to discover and understand reality for themselves, hence producing authentic knowledge. And of course, this was done through Socratic questioning and dialogue. Fortunately for us, Plato's students were able to convince him to embrace the technology of writing and reproduction of the original writing. And in some ways, transforming the Socratic method from spoken word methodology to the written. And now, on to the story. Allegory of the Cave is part of Book 7 of Plato's masterpiece, which is called The Republic. The Republic was devoted to the nature of justice, a moral philosophy, if you like. And it's essentially a lengthy dialogue between teacher and student, presumably Socrates and Plato, although the names are different in the Republic. I'm not going to uh, read the original text. I'm basically going to paraphrase the story for the sake of saving time and making it easier to comprehend for all listeners. But I do recommend that you read The Republic. It's a very, very good book. The story is a thought experiment. The teacher is talking to the student. And the teacher tells the student, imagine, imagine that all people are essentially in a cave. They're chained, sitting in a cave, behind the wall, they're chained to the ground. They can't turn their heads to the left or to the right, or be able to turn their heads to see what's in the back of them. What they can see, though, is shadows of figures. And where do these figures come from? There are puppeteers behind the wall where the people are sitting down, using these little puppet figures, moving things about, and using natural fire and the light from the natural fire to create these shadows and turn them into stories. So what these people who are chained to the ground see is their perception of reality, which is nothing but these puppets moving around and and creating narratives. This is how things are. This is what you need to do. This is what happens, and so on and so forth. So Plato says, imagine, imagine one of these prisoners somehow, for whatever reason, gets free, loses the chains, and is able to escape from the cave. He goes out there, and outside the cave, he sees the sun. He sees nature, and he starts looking at different things, new things, and his mind goes to work. He starts to reason about things that he's experiencing, essentially discovering the true nature of reality. He is what Plato would call an enlightened person. Then imagine if this enlightened person returns to the cave and tries to tell his story about reality to all the prisoners who are chained to the ground. What would they do once encountering 
this new story about the nature of reality, and so on. Would they believe him? Or would they get angry at him and call him crazy? Perhaps they would laugh at him. And if he would insist upon freeing people, say, hey, look, I'm enlightened. I saw the light. I know what reality is. What you're seeing here is a bunch of shadows. They're puppeteers behind the wall creating these things for you. There is another reality out there. Go and look for it by yourself, for yourselves. You need to do this. What would they do? Would they listen? Would they just ignore him? Perhaps some of them would even kill the enlightened former prisoner. Of course, the enlightened former prisoner understands that these people who have known nothing but the shadows as reality for themselves, uh, this is their world. And they often get together, while in chains of course, and give each other awards for fantastic stories, for achievements, for believing in the narratives, for following the narratives. So accolades come around, and yet they remain imprisoned. They're not free. They're not enlightened. Plato believed, given his moral disposition, that the enlightened person has an obligation to always return to the cave, and the cave being somebody's community, ah, society at large, a country, etc. His obligation is to return and enlighten others, even if it means that he has to risk his own life. That is essentially the allegory of the cave. Now, we need to think about today's way of living and the way in which we understand reality through the prism of the media with its sophisticated technologies. How do we know what we know? When we wake up in the morning and we want to find out what's happening in the world, what do we do? Well, we may get on our computers, we may turn on the television, we may pick up the newspaper that's been delivered to us and start reading, watching, listening, and trying to find out what is happening. Who is doing what? Ah, what are the stock prices? What is the latest model of the latest car? Are there any jobs out there? What's this story about climate change? Who's in charge? Is there fake news? Is there real news? Is this perspective given by a polit politician the real perspective oh there is another perspective diametrically opposed to that perspective then we may get on social media and then there are algorithms working in the background working on the profile the day the system right the puppeteers behind the wall have developed to condition us to click here click there like this share that and by this and by that. So it gets very confusing, doesn't it? So are we living in a platonic cave where somebody else, the elite perhaps you could call them, are moving the puppets around and giving us narratives? Well, this is how things are. 
You work hard, pull yourself up by the bootstrap. Follow the rules, be honest, and all the rest of it. And you will have an opportunity. Everybody will have an opportunity. And opportunities are plenty. You will have an opportunity to succeed, to have what we have. In this we is kind of an unknown, isn't it? Of course, if you study history of humankind, you will know that the nature of reality has always been mediated through some kind of technology to us. In the technology of writing, hence Plato's ambivalence towards it in the beginning, uh, was the one that allowed people to write down their perception of reality, their theories about things, their observations, their scientific findings, and all the rest of it, and share all of that knowledge collectively with the rest of the world. But the sophistication of that technology compared to the sophistication of today's multitude of technologies um, pales, right? It's not the same thing. It seems to me that 50 years ago, there was more of a grip on what actually happens out there and the way in which we gained access to what happens out there was more of a, a true approach, meaning the journalist went out there, was committed to truth with the lowercase t, there was a fidelity to truth. The journalist gave us the observations and told us about the sources. We evaluated the findings of the journalist. Then we brought it to authorities whom we trusted to use good judgment because we had elected them to be the ones who could analyze situations and create policy. And if we didn't like those policies, we would ask the journalists to go and find out what is wrong with the policy and tell us. So we were all in on it. However, today, people may be under the illusion that they're in on it. In other words, every time they vote, every time they make a phone call to their congressman or woman, they're making a difference and things are changing. But the narratives given to us through the sophisticated technologies of television propaganda, uh, master storytelling, and of course, the behemoth, the entertainment industry, uh, create a different kind of perception of reality and control over the way in which society is run. Let me use an example to illustrate what I mean. Take uh, Uber, for instance, right? Uber is a very sophisticated technology. You know, you, all you got to do is download the app on your phone, the Uber app, and anytime you want to go anywhere, pretty much anywhere in the country, 
All you gotta do is press the app and ask for a ride. And somebody will show up and take you to your destination. Very convenient and oftentimes with short distances, it's economically advantageous to the consumer and the Uber driver thinks, well, I'm making extra money because the majority of Uber drivers are people with jobs elsewhere. And this is a side job. So why is Uber necessary? Well, it isn't. And yet people think that it is and they think it's a great thing. Why do they think it's a great thing? Well, the master storytellers tell us, well, look, times are tough. You have a full-time job. The labor market is really tight and competitive. If you can't make ends meet, then there must be something you're not doing right. But hey, no worries. You can be in charge of your own life. There is Uber to give you an opportunity. Here's our story. You can be your own boss. Take a fare or don't take a fare. It's your choice as a driver. But at the end of the day, you have to work extra hard to make ends meet. So the bigger question ought to be, why is it that hardworking people can't make ends meet and they have to become Uber drivers? And why is it that there's a story out there telling us that this is great? This isn't bad. This is just more opportunities, economic opportunities for people to succeed. Of course, there are plenty of commercials and it's in the air. And if it's on social media and people start sharing, spreading the message, the next thing you know, it becomes ideologically solid. Are the master puppeteers aware of what they're doing? Of course they are. The creation of Uber is deliberate. The creation of other things like Uber are deliberate. If you can occupy the masses with making a living, and whenever they have free time, just give them entertainment. The kind of entertainment that does not compel them to think about things. So if it's action-oriented, if it's visually pleasing to the eyes, if it's titillating the senses, what they call in the tech industry, if it's giving them a dopamine hit, right? It's a success story. And the next thing you know, people will actually start to believe that these are actual opportunities. And the smartest people are the ones who are going to succeed best at this. The examples, of course, are plenty. You can think of the stock market as being this kind of game that the puppeteers in the platonic cave, you know, create for people who are chained to the ground. Um, as one story, you can think about the American dream more and more not being a reality, but a myth, right? You just work long enough, hard enough. You will get that house and you will have financial success and security and all the rest of it. But more and more people are seeing it as a myth. And yet, they fall for the uberization of the story. So we need to get out of the platonic cave. We need to find our way, discover the true nature of reality. Start reasoning about it. And do what Plato suggested. Return to the cave and try to free people 
from the chains. But then I'm reminded of what Rousseau once said. We are born free, but in chains everywhere. Thank you for listening. And I look forward to talking with you at the next episode of Tech Humanity.